Well, good morning, church family. Thank you, Ken family, for leading us through some really relevant worship for going through a series on how badly we need him as we recognize grief and loss and call out to our Savior. I appreciate the songs that Ken chooses uh, that match with these series. Hey, listen, I just want to tell you and, and those of you at home that this is the way to start the new year, to be worshiping with our church family and kicking off a, a series that I think we all can relate to. Um, we're going to talk about in a minute how it, it, it's relatable not only if you've gone through loss and, and hardship recently or in the past, but it's also going to be relatable for those of you who have someone in your life that is going through that kind of time. And hopefully, hopefully as you hear these words uh, from, from King David this morning, you hear that, that God is available to those who are in loss and hurting, and also as we walk alongside of people who are hurting, that we can point them to our, our hope in Christ. And I think it will be something that will help all of us in our walk with him. But I'd like to start our time together in a word of prayer as we get started. Father, you know my heart and you know my follies. And I just pray this morning that they hear your word and hear you speak. And I'm thankful for this time to just study your word with my church family. But I just hope that they hear this morning that your word is for them and and can change their lives. And we thank you for the hope that is in Christ that we have, that uh, no matter what comes and what we're walking through, that you will walk with us and you will answer our calls and that you've come in your own, in yourself, uh, through Christ and, and sacrifice yourself for us. We thank you for that and that, that gives us hope so we can study your word and look to a future with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we are starting a series that Pastor Nathan talked uh, called Dark Clouds and Deep Mercies. I wanted to get the title right because you've heard it a couple times, so you know if we get it wrong. Um, so if you haven't got the book, pick up the book this morning. Uh, those of you at, at home have gotten the instructions on how to do that. And, and we'll go through several psalms to start out with, and then we're going to go into the book of Lamentations. But as you hear these words this morning, uh, we're going to be in Psalm 69. If you haven't turned there, I encourage you to look that up. We'll have the whole text on the screen as well for those of you at home. Uh, we're going to go through the whole psalm, and I think it's important you see the process that King David goes through, because he, he calls out to God and um, turns his heart towards him, but it doesn't mean that the, the pain comes to an end immediately. He, you'll see him walk through it over some time in this chapter. As we get started, though, I want to show you this picture so we can kind of all have the same thought in our minds. You're going to hear a lot of language about water and the flood and being stuck in a mire. And so I want to look at this picture and say, you know, there, there's some of you who have, over the last year, had, had the water go over your head and ha have felt like maybe you're struggling in the deep sea. But there's also some of you who have seen this happen. And you're, like I said at the beginning, you're walking alongside someone or, or maybe praying some of these prayers with someone that's, that's feeling just like this picture. Maybe reaching out, calling for God in, in spite of the pain and loss that they're, they're dealing with. So as we read his words, I want you to ask these two questions. Um, are you David in this psalm? Am I David? Do, do I, have I prayed prayers like this? Do I know how he's feeling? Have I prayed some of these same words? Or do I know someone? Have you prayed alongside somebody who's going through something terrible and, and, and you're trying to help them point their heart towards the hope in God? I want you to be asking those questions because, again, I think that this series is going to relate to you no matter the situation, whether it's somebody you can pray these prayers with and for, 
or maybe you're praying them yourself. So we're going to jump into Psalm 69.1, but I want you to have kind of that image uh, in mind because it's, it's not only this hand reaching out from the water, but this picture is taken from the third person. So maybe you're seeing this in the life of somebody you know. So David starts out Psalm 69, chapter, or verse 1, with, Save me, O God. This is an exclama- exclamation. And if he had written nothing else, we already know something is up. He's saying, save me, not, I'm in a tough spot, but I need your rescue. And already he's turned his heart to the one he knows who can save him, God. He's calling on God by name, Yahweh, save me. And we're going to get into why he has the, the faith and the understanding and belief that, that he can call on God and why he can call out to him. But if this was all we had for the psalm, we know that, that something is truly up in David's life. So kind of the theme or the admonition for you this morning as we, we kind of introduce the idea of lament is that you cry out to God. And I, I almost had it say, you can cry out to God, but it needs to be an imperative, cry out to God. Because as we go through lament and, and several psalms this, this season and go into lamentations, we're going to see a people who, who forgot to cry out to God in lamentations, people of Israel who strayed away from God, and then they were in a situation where they, they saw they needed to. But this is going to be kind of the theme is of lam- lamenting is, is crying out to God. So he goes into this water imagery. Continuing in verse 1, we'll keep reading. For the waters have come up to my neck. For those of you who have been with us for a little while, um, waters has some, some distinct imagery connected to it in, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, it represents chaos and evil, death. The sea was a very unknown, scary place. And we talked about that a little bit with uh, the Apostle Paul traveling by ship. So David is using this picture to say, I'm in this chaos, I'm in this evil, death-filled place right now, and I need to cry out from you. I also think that water is an important picture too because water and mire here in a little bit, he's going to talk about, are things that you have to be pulled out of. If you can't feel the bottom or if your feet are stuck, you can't work your way out of that own situation. You can only swim so, so long. So David's being raw and honest about how he feels to his father. He says he sinks in deep mire where there is no foothold in verse 2. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. So now maybe it's getting worse. I think Mark hits on this in in the um, video that you saw this morning. We kind of live in this this ditch of denial sometimes. And so some of of you, I want to encourage, if if you haven't prayed these real raw, honest prayers to God and, and feel like Maybe you can't share these feelings, how brutally raw it feels. But maybe seeing David do that, King David, man after God's own heart, do that for these next several chapters might help you. Because I think that ditch of denial leads to, to that ditch of despair. After holding those feelings in so long and denying that you have them, I think you might give up hope. And so I think that's why it's so important you see some of these brutally raw psalms. And, and I'll tell you, not to spoil anything, but some of the psalms that we'll cover in the next couple of weeks are even more brutal and raw than this. So uh, take, take some comfort in knowing that, that you can be this honest with God your Father. I am weary with my crying out, he says in verse 3. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Man, he's, he's really given up some hope here of, of he can't see what the solution is. But something in his soul 
tells him he knows where it's going to come from. So he continues to pray. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Now he starts to tell you, here's how I feel, and starts to give us hints as to why. David's being attacked by somebody, and in his position as king, there were different times in the story where he was both at fault in his reign over Israel and also being hunted by people and, and, and had a lot of adversaries. So he hints on that with God saying, I need you to help me with the people who are attacking me. Now, hate me without cause here is highlighted in purple, and you'll see this a couple other times as we read. This psalm and, and Psalms 22, which we'll cover in another sermon this series, are highly quoted in the New Testament. And this is one of the things that was fascinating to me as I, I read this in preparation for our time together this morning, is that you have this king, a man after God's own heart, King David over Israel, praying prayers that another later better king prays. And in this situation, hate me without cause applies directly to the ministry of Christ. There were people who hated him uh, without reason. And you're going to see some more impressing um, connections with the life and ministry of Christ. And I just want you to, to see that Christ identifies through his ministry, death, burial, and resurrection with some of the feelings that, Christ, that David is experiencing in this prayer. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What I did not steal must now I restore. O God, you know my folly. The wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. This is kind of a, a curve. He's been talking about other people, and now he admits, I'm a sinner. You know my heart. You know my sins. I think this is actually a comforting admission here because he's saying to God, like, if I can trust you with the sins that, that I've committed that aren't hidden from you, you know, he was, he was discovered in his sin with Bathsheba, and Nathan the prophet confronted him. He knows I can't hide anything from God. But the reason that that's a comfort is, is if we can trust him with our, our sin debt here now, as Christ has, has relieved that from us, that we can trust him with how we feel about the situations that we're going in that are going on in our life. That, that brutal honesty can come out of our mouth if it's done out of a place of, of humility and brokenness. And I think that's why this verse is in here, is to remind us, nothing's hidden from God. Your sins aren't, and your feelings aren't. So be honest. So this reminds me, and hopefully reminds us, that if, if this is something that you've struggled with and think that denial is maybe the way to handle this in your prayers um, with your Heavenly Father, that you can be honest with him. He, he knows how you feel. He created your heart. In fact, he created your heart capable of feeling some of these emotions. So you're feeling them, and you can incorporate them into your prayer in an honest way. And crying out to God, turning your heart towards him, which is the first step of this lament process we're going to go through, is best done out of honesty. It can only be done out of honesty. So David continues to pray, but, but he's given us this reminder as he confesses his sins as a part of his complaint that God knows my heart, so he knows how I feel. I'm going to tell him, and I'm going to call out to him with that and trust that he's going to rescue me. So as Pastor Nathan explained, the, the foreword in the book you should read. It's probably one of three forewords I've ever read in my life. And it was written by Joni Erickson Tata, who I think is a, is a modern uh, authority on how to live faithfully in spite of suffering. She shares her feelings, how she felt after she fractured her neck as a teenager. And I remember the sentence, we read this chapter forward months and months and months ago, and this sentence has stuck out to me since. She says, I felt as though God smashed me underfoot like a cigarette. 
I don't know if that resonates with anyone here or anyone listening at home, but when I read that, I thought, wow. You know, and her God, our God, knew that she felt that way. So maybe that gives us a little bit of freedom in how we can pray honestly to him. And see, that honestly leads to this, this trust that we can have as we lament. And Mark touches on that in the introduction that you'll read this week. He says, I was merely, in doing this lament process, I was merely trying to voice my fears and struggles, be honest, at the same time pointing my heart towards God. And that is the goal this morning and through this series, is that we'll be honest and, and about our fears and our struggles, really raw, brutally honest, but we'll point our heart to the hope that we have in God, but, but specifically through Christ. And we'll, we'll hopefully bring that to, to a close uh, this morning as, as we introduce this idea. So David continues. He's began talking about his feelings, and, and he does that honestly out of the realization that God can handle that. After all, our faith in Christ is, is that he has handled our sin debt, so he can handle and he will our complaints and our feelings of, of where life has us and, and the pain we're walking through. So this is the kind of second realization that I want to share with you is, is remember, do this knowing, trusting that he can handle it and that he will. David continues with, with the public nature of his pain. See, David was suffering with an audience. Unfortunately, as the king of Israel and as a man after God's own heart, he had a lot of people surrounding him. And he touches on how he's concerned that's going to affect those people. And maybe, maybe some of us have dealt with that, that. That's part of that denial of, I can't show that I'm going through this because of how it might affect my friends or my family. And David mentions that in these following verses. Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me, O God of Israel. So he had an audience. Some of those people were his adversaries that he's touched on. And some of these people were his friends and family and other followers of God that he was concerned that, that his pain would affect. For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. Now this wasn't directly highlighted, but... Doesn't this sound like the experiences of our Savior on the cross? His family and his brothers became strangers and left his side. So it's amazing how closely Christ identifies with the suffering of David in these Psalms. For zeal for your house has consumed me. The disciples actually themselves recognized this Psalm being true in Christ's ministry. After he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry, the disciples say, oh, this must be what the psalmist meant by the zeal for his house consumes me. But this is also a reminder that David is speaking as a person who takes his worship and relationship with God seriously. This isn't, this isn't necessarily something that's happened to him because of a, a lax approach to his walk with God. And so it's not a, a, it's not a, a pain in your life is not an indication of, of some kind of, of wrongdoing necessarily. He, he, he points this out by saying, this, this is what I care about. This fills my life is worshiping and following you. The reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. He's suffering for the sake of those who follow God. In verse 10, he says, When I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. When I made sackcloth my clothing, it became a byword to them. So he, he uses this imagery of the public mourning of wearing sackcloth. So again, people know that David's going through this. And, and 
And so maybe denial for him is a little less of an option. But he, he talks about the byword is, is a fancy way of saying his life was a parable for people watching him suffer. And he knows that. People are talking about him. Don't be like David because da-da-da-da-da. And he's, he feels as though his life now is an example to people, um, but not necessarily in an uplifting way. Because he goes on in 12 to say, I'm the talk of those who sit in the gates of the high of society, and the drunkards make songs about me. Now, I don't know if that's ever been true about anybody in this room, but I'll tell you what, if you have the spectrum of society treating your life and your sufferings as, as a joke and as a song, it makes sense as why he calls out in this way. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. I'm going to read that again because David includes a lot of attributes about God in that verse. But this is where some of his heart starts to, to hinge and turn as he prays to his father. As for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, Remember, he turns his heart towards God. He knows who he needs to pray to. And an acceptable time, oh God. What a hard realization. This pain is, is occurring on a timeline and it is up to your sovereignty. It's not up to me. In the abundance of your steadfast love, we're going to stop and talk about steadfast love here for a minute because if, if there's anything else that you get today, I want you to hear David's references to the steadfast love of God because this is where our ability to turn to him is rooted. The word used for steadfast love in this psalm and several others later in Lamentations, chapter 3, we'll read about it, is about God's promise-keeping covenant love that he, he, out of his love for Israel, brought them out of Egypt back in Exodus. Out of his love for his people, he sent a Messiah. This is the love that, that David is relying on as he bears his heart and soul to God. He says, you're a promise-keeping God. You're going to love me forever. And so I can, re I can safely and securely, honestly share these requests with you, knowing that I, you're not going to turn that love off because I said the wrong word. And it's a really amazing, chesed, is a, it's an amazing love that you could spend, we could spend the whole morning talking about the history of that word. But probably the, the verse that you all know from Lamentations is, your steadfast love never ceases. So David knows this and is, is hinging his heart on this and asks for an answer out of God's faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. So in verse 14, he kind of repeats, hey, this is still where I'm at. So he has the truth about who God is, but that doesn't mean that the pain stops immediately. He's continuing to walk through this and and Hebrew poetry uses repetition to hammer a point home. So David is saying, I'm still stuck, I'm still drowning, but my hope is in you, your steadfast love. Let not the flood sweep over me, or the deep swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. He knows what comes out of that steadfast love, that promise-keeping love. is going to be good for him. But this is really hard. In 16, he continues, According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. We're going to talk about 
another person is suffering at the end of the service here, uh, Job, and uses the imagery of a redeemer. And he's saying, come, come claim me as your own out of this mess. And David is using those same words. Ransom me because of my enemies. You know my reproach for my shame and my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Sounds like the earlier part of the, the, the psalm where he says, you know my follies, you know my heart and my sins. He's repeating, I, I trust in, in the fact that you're an omniscient, all-knowing God, and you're going to deal with this. You're, you're going to deal with these enemies that I wish this reproach on. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. This is another similarity that in the life of Job, if you look up Job 19, he talks about wanting an advocate. If somebody would just advocate for him, and David here is looking for a comforter and an advocate, but there's none to be found around him. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. This is perhaps the clearest connection to our Savior. While he was on the cross, he was offered vinegar to drink or gall to drink. And I think the Apostle or, uh, Gospel John actually says this was done to fulfill Scripture, tying it back to this psalm. So even in, in Christ's death, he's walking down the same path that David was traveling. Let their own table before them become a snare, and when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. So David says, how I feel right now, I wish on my enemies. I wish you would punish them because I can't see. My eyes have grown dim. And now in 23, he's saying, I want their eyes darkened. As Ken and I talked about this passage earlier this week, we were like, man, he prays some really hard things against his enemies. He gets really brutal. And that shows you the depth, not only of the suffering that he's going through, but his trust that, I can't, he can't do all these things. He can't make his enemies grow dim or shake. But he's trusting that God is going to take care of these things. Turning that over to him. Pour out your indignation upon them and let your burning anger overtake them. May their camp be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents. For they persecute him who you have struck down and they recount the pain of those you have wounded. Add to them punishment upon punishment for they might have no acquittal from you. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living. Let them not be enrolled among the righteous. He's saying right here, I want you to kill them. I want you to blot them out. I think you've heard the term blotting out before. It's blotting out our sins. But he's saying, I want you to wipe them out, God. So he's, he's, tr he's taking this, this anger and frustration and hurt and taking all of that and turning that over to his father. So I really hope this morning that you hear that we can cry out to God. We must cry out to God because it's honest. We can't be in denial about how we feel and, and, and what the circumstances in our life have led us to. But that honesty can be offered to God out of just a humble, broken spirit. And it's, it's, it's coupled with trusting that he's going to handle it. See, I think that the problem is in our, in our culture or maybe how we've been taught um, as kids, is that these feelings can't be trusted. Well, they can't be trusted to provide us the truth as themselves, but they can point us to the truth, and we can offer our feelings to God and say, God, I feel this way today, but I know that you're trustworthy. I know that your steadfast love doesn't cease. So wrapping up, David leaves us with some worship. Um, as he turns on, 
I'm afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. He summarizes where he's at and what he wants God to do. He wants him to set him up high on a rock, a rock that is higher than I, as, as we sing. He's pointing, he's, in, his, in his lament, he's pointing his heart to his only hope, that God will indeed do this. He's turned his heart to God. Verse 1, he calls out to him and complains about the feelings that he has of being swept under the sea and his enemies are surrounding him. And then he asks him, vindicate me, take care of my enemies, take care of this pain. And he's, he's finishing by trusting that God will continue to be his hope, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceasing will come real in his life. Verse 30, he says, he will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This is while he's still in pain. And he notes that this is something that will please the Lord while he worships in pain. It will please the Lord more than the most expensive sacrifice that you can offer. I think this is amazing that David can, has turned his heart to this extent where he can continue to worship while he walks this painful road. With the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. So much like he was concerned earlier in the chapter about how his pain and suffering in a public arena would, would be used to take people away from God, that people's trust in God would suffer because he's suffering, he says, I know that, that as long as I worship you and when you rescue me, the humble, the other broken down people will see that and, and they will be glad that, that they will react and follow you. For the Lord hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. David remembers that the steadfast promise-keeping love that God has for his people means that he will hear them in spite of his feelings feeling like you don't hear me. He knows you will hear me. And that God does not despise his own people. That he, he hasn't forgotten them. And that's, that's resting in that steadfast love. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. When we went through Acts as a church family, one of the things that I always loved hearing was when the apostles were suffering, they brought out the creation power of God. They talked about how God was the creator of the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in it. Multiple times in Acts, they prayed that. And I think David's doing the same thing here, saying the whole earth, all of creation is going to worship and praise him. So I will, but I will because I know he made all of this. I think that you can kind of anchor yourself to one of these truths, maybe the creative power of God or steadfast love, and that's how you can worship him while walking through this pain. This is probably my favorite phrase in this psalm, and this is this reminder. This, is, this seems to be where God, where, I'm sorry, David is anchoring his soul, is for God will save Zion. So we trust that he's going to hear our prayers and work all things out for his glory and our good. And David ends his psalm here. The psalmist writes, for God will save. And I just wrote that out on my notes this, this week, thinking that's what it all depends on, is God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah. He's going to keep his promise to his people. And that people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it. And those who love his name shall dwell in it. God will be known as the God who keeps his promises through his love for his people. And David is, is wrapping this call out, this cry out to God, resting in that knowledge.
So as a reminder for us today, because we, we see now, or we've seen what David couldn't see, is that God's steadfast love saves us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The steadfast love that keeps its promises did in fruition by coming to earth in Christ and in his life, living out in front of us how life could be lived and dying on our behalf and then raising, giving us hope for life with him eternal was fruition of God's steadfast love for us. So I want you to be honest this week as you pray or as you walk alongside of somebody, understand that they're going to pray some really raw prayers if they're, if they're crying out to God. One of the things that I thought about as I was thinking about honest prayer is there's, there's relationships that we have in our life that depend on honesty, like a marriage. And maybe for some of you, you, you know what, what it's like if, you're, if you are feeling down in the dumps and your wife or your husband asks you, how are you feeling? And you say, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, they're asking you because they know you. They can tell that not everything's fine. Well, God knows you. God knows how you feel. He knows your heart and he made you. So I think if we pray prayers where we say, I'm not fine, he understands that. I think to, to not pray honestly and sincere is, is equally as unproductive in that relationship as it is in marriage. Or as a, as a, as a parent or as a child, when you were a child and, and you were down in the dumps and your parents said, hey, are you okay? And you said, oh, you're fine. I think that comes out of not wanting to be honest or maybe we can't trust that they'll be okay with what we say. Well, God, who can do something about how we feel and what we're going through, will be okay with what you say. He, he, he will hear you. So this week, maybe you could write out, this is a journaling tactic that I've used that, that other people of, of this church family have used. God, today I feel hopeless, tired, prideful. Be honest again. Fill in this blank. God, today I feel. Do this every morning. But then say, fill me with your. This is the part of the psalm where David says, God will save. I can trust that you're going to do something about this. So fill in, fill me with your. So it could be, God, today I feel broken. Fill me with a hope of a life spent with you. God, today I feel tired. Be my comforter. Fill me with the Holy Spirit who comforts me. So this is the first challenge or homework that we have for you this week is as, as we prepare next week to learn about turning our hearts to God, maybe we can exercise that a little bit ahead of time by writing this out in your mornings. Secondly, I think this verse is, is, a, is a very important verse out of this whole psalm. Uh, it's, it's part of the part where part of the psalm where David turns his heart to God. Maybe write this out on an on a, uh, index card and put it on your bathroom mirror. Uh, point yourself to hope by saying, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. That's Psalm 69, 13. Maybe write that out on an on a index card and remember that he has an abundance, more than you need, of steadfast love. It's not going to quit and that he's going to answer you because he's faithful. Put that on some place you can see that every day this week as, as we prepare next week to turn our hearts to God in prayer. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your faithfulness when we are unfaithful. And I thank you for your steadfast love and that you pursued being faithful to the point of coming, sending your son to die on our behalf, to bear our sins. 
as we see the beautiful snow outside and we think about how you've made us whiter, purer than snow, we know that we don't deserve this, but we're thankful that you've been faithful to your word. Thank you for saving us and, and bringing us together this morning uh, to hear from your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.